listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. All right, so uh, I hope you have your Bibles open to Joshua chapter um, 13. Did I tell you four, 14 earlier? Well, we'll get to it, uh, to both of those in a moment, but it'll be actually Joshua, what did it say on the screen? 14, I guess it is. Okay, so um, we'll get at that in a moment. First of all, I want to start out by just showing you a little picture of, from the rooftop of our house. I took this in August, and uh, if you guys are able to get this screen on, that would be great for it to be able to help me along as well. But this is a picture that was taken from uh, the rooftop of our house, and you can see my wife's nice little jungle there, uh, her nice little garden. Uh, where she loves to get her green thumb into each year. And, uh, and, and every year, what we like to do, we like to be able to compost our fruit and vegetable scraps. And, and every year, we come up with buckets of rich compost that is once again placed back into the soil and into flower pots and different things. And one of the joys of composting, if any of you know this, is that you get some wonderful volunteer, it's called, or rogue seeds that, that get uh, rooted and or sprouting and rooted and start to grow in your garden or in flower pots or different things. And, and this year, we had a rogue kind of seed of vine start growing in a very st- strange place, right in front of the front door of our garden shed, away from the garden. As you can see, you can see the trampoline on one side, and then you see the garden there and the shed door. And, and, and so we took, when it was just small, we were thinking, ooh, this is cool. You know, we had dumped some soil around to fill in the grass a little bit, and, and I guess the seed must have taken root there. And so we made sure that Nate didn't go over it with the lawnmower or anything like that, and we said, let's just see what ends up happening is we watered it and, and made sure Nate didn't run over it. And, and, uh, and, and strangely enough, I mean, look at what ended up getting produced there. I mean, there was some, you see those nice little melons? And at first we weren't sure, is it a watermelon? Is it a cantaloupe? And, and I actually went and I, I picked one the, uh, just yesterday. Take a look at this nice little cantaloupe that started to grow. And uh, it's still a little green, but my father-in-law told me, told me it will ripen up and we'll be able to enjoy it. So maybe next week we might share it or we might not uh, with you folks. And, and and, and so it just kind of, I wanted to show this to you because this, this chunk of fruit ended up growing and, and getting planted and, well, planting itself, but, but, but started to grow and that vine became a hunk of, of some very good fruit, at least we're hoping it will be very good, um, in a very unlikely place. And you know what, it's, there's so many lessons to, to this in life and in just even knowing that as vines and cantaloupes can grow in the most unlikely of places, God's people and the work that God can do can happen in the most unlikely of people or persons or families from the most interesting environments, cultures, or locations. And this is the kind of God that we have. Last week, we started looking at the life of a man who was used by God in an incredible way. Caleb is one of those unlikely heroes that you see in the Bible. Because even as we saw last week, and I'm not going to recap that, you can go listen online and you can can, uh, just reacquaint yourself with the story of Caleb uh, in the book of Numbers as, as we looked at that last week. But here was a guy who had much against him. From his family background to being an outsider, from the children of Israel to become a man that God would use in a mighty way, and yet he faced serious opposition and threats during, uh, he, he, during the time that he was taking a stand from God, not just from enemies, but from his own people. And last week we saw Caleb, he was 40 years old, and he had become a man we saw at 40 
a man of conviction, a man who was ready to stand up even though the culture was going in another way, and he was willing to take a stand even though his own people were against him. And so today in Joshua chapter 14, we see him now 45 years later. He's 85 years old, and again, he's one of these very unlikely heroes. He continues on, and we see, as we've been talking in this message series, of being a wholehearted follower. Last week, it was a strong beginning, having faithful, a wholehearted follower from the beginning. But today, we're going to see faithful to the end. And when it comes to every one of us here this morning, God can make something, something amazing, something powerful, something that is useful for the kingdom of God out of the most unlikely people, and that is you. And that is me, that is every one of us, that God can use us in mighty ways as we are ready and willing to be wholehearted followers of Christ. He can and he will do that. Even when it comes to those who may think they're young or may have a certain background or certain flaws in, in their ability to learn or, or what people might say about them, for God, everyone is his creation. He has a plan and a purpose for each one. And so we're in this week two of this little mini-series on the life of Caleb, looking at him being a wholehearted follower and learning from his life. Not just to say, oh, that was good for him, but to see this also applies to my life as well. As I mentioned last week, 40-year-old Caleb, here he, in the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14. In fact, it was said of this Caleb guy, it was said of him six times in three books of the Bible that he wholly followed the Lord. And even one of those statements that where it says Caleb has followed the Lord God wholeheartedly, the Lord himself said that about him. Oh, to have that said of the Lord about you and me, that we wholly followed the Lord. He was one of the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan as they were, had left Egypt and, and, and went across the wilderness and, and were getting ready to go in the promised land. He was one of those 12 spies. And they all agreed, as we talked last week, they all agreed it's a land flowing with milk and honey. That, that reference, milk and honey, meant it was a land filled with luxuries, not just the bare necessities, but, but, but luxuries, milk and honey were referenced in those days as a luxury. And so the land flowing with milk and honey, 10 of those, 10 of those spies, as we know, saw the giants, the fortified cities, and they saw that it was just impossible. There's no way they could do it. Caleb and Joshua are the only two spies that were, could see God helping them and God giving them the power and victory. And so Caleb st stood up and he made a declaration, a powerful statement he said, yes, there's large armies. Yes, there's much against us. There's fortified cities and very large people. Giants, actually. In fact, he, he would have agreed. Yeah, we look like grasshoppers compared to them. Are you very familiar with grasshoppers? Some of you? You see the odd one around here. I remember on the prairies, uh, growing up on, on spending our summers on the farm, some years those grasshoppers would be so bad as you were, would be walking in your farmyard, you would just have just them just flying like this, and sometimes they'd land on you, and if you were talking, which my sister often was, you'd get one in your mouth, and, and, you know, and so you had to be very careful because these grasshoppers, and, but, but the thing about grasshoppers is you can squish them like a bug. They're fairly easy to get if you have some fairly quick reflexes. And so that's what they felt like. They said, oh, we look like grasshoppers. And, 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 and what, what do giants do to grasshoppers? Boom, you can just splat them just like that. They said, there's no way we can do this. The children of Israel, the whole nation, it says everyone was against Caleb and Joshua. No one stood with them. And they stood with the ten spies and said, there's no way we could do this. And so as a result of their unbelief and, and, and their complaining ways, God said, hey, 
No one 20 years and older is going into the promised land. Turn around. And for the next 40 years, they would wander in the wilderness, kept out of the promised land, except for Caleb and except for Joshua, because of their unbelief. And so for these next 40 years, the Israelites would wander in the wilderness and learn many, many, many more lessons. And some might think, look at what Caleb got for his faith. He stands up, he has faith in God, his own people want to stone him and kill him, and yet God spares his life. But for 40 years now, he has to wander in the wilderness. What kind of a God is that? A God who had much to do in the life of Caleb still. To grow him and to teach him and to train him and to get ready for his best years yet. Some might think, he served God, he was faithful, and he ended up wandering in the wilderness. Where was the blessing? Where was the reward? He'd have to wait 40 years, 45 years actually, to be able to seriously enjoy it. And even with that, he continued to keep going. And folks, today I want to declare to you, I need to remind this over and over again. If you are serious about living for God, taking giant steps of faith, being obedient to his word, you will face opposition. You will face it from the outside world, from, from, from culture, from society, but you also face it from friends, family members, and even from even believing Christians, you will face that opposition. And yet we see that Caleb, he was prepared to wait, and he did wait. And God teaches his children some of the best lessons in the wilderness. Would any of you agree to that? God teaches his best lessons to his children in the wilderness. And I'm sure already we could go around and we could talk to many of you who've experienced that. You've gone through the wilderness. You've gone through those days where there just seemed like there's no hope. Crushed. And God makes a way. And he teaches us those lessons. Maybe you're in the wilderness today. Hold on. Listen to these lessons. Don't give up on God. Don't cower. Don't cower. But be prepared to wait. God, he, his timing is so much different than ours. I remember the pastor who, uh, the young kid in church, he came in and, and uh, this is when guys wore wrist watches all the time and not so much anymore, except if you have one of those fancy cool ones. Maybe one day I'll grow up and get one of those. But um, anyways, he was, uh, a father and son were sitting in church and he says, Dad, what does it mean when the pastor takes off his watch and puts it on, on, on the pulpit? And his, son look, his father looked at him and said, son, it means nothing at all. You know, and um, just that the pastor doesn't care about the time when he's preaching. Anyway, some of you will get that later on when you're driving home. Ah, that's what he was meaning when he preached for so long today. Anyways, uh, 40 years. God's timetable is so different than ours. 40 years is a long time. In so many ways. And yet in God's economy, it is just, I mean, it's nothing. It's a snap of the finger. It's a grain of sand. It's very, very little 40 years. Think about what was going on 40 years ago at this time. There was a different Trudeau that was Prime Minister of Canada. Uh, president Jimmy Carter was President of the United States. We were in the midst of the Cold War. 40 years ago, eggs were 48 cents a dozen. Did you know that you could, yeah, anyways, I could talk about egg prices. We're not going to. Bacon was a dollar a pound. A new house would cost you $54,000, and the average income was $17,000. Gold was $200 an ounce, and the Bee Gees were the number one hit band at the time. 
Games like air hockey and Simon and Hungry Hippos were just being introduced 40 years ago. That's a long time ago, isn't it? I mean, that's vintage stuff we're talking about, especially bacon, a dollar a pound. I mean, that's awesome. Man, oh, to live back 40 years ago, you know? And for Caleb, for 40 years, he watched a generation die, including his family and his friends, his parents, and finally those 10 spies who lacked the faith. <laughs> he probably didn't cry at their funeral very much. Uh, he saw the sons of Korah lead a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. He saw God swallow up a group of people into the ground because of their rebellion. He saw thousands of people die of a plague again because of their rebellion against God. He saw so much happen and he was not being personally disciplined by God. But he was suffering because others were disobedient and because others were under the discipline of God. And here's something, folks, we have to remember. We are all affected by someone else's sin. We might think we're getting away with it. We think, may think it's not a big deal, but others will pay the price for your sin. They will. It may be your children or your grandchildren. It may be your co-workers. But when, in, in various ways that when we determine and we decide to have a rebellious heart and live in areas of sinfulness, there will be a price to pay. But just like the law of the harvest, you sow in one season and you reap in another season. And in, in the same way it goes with sin, you sow sin into your life and into attitudes and actions in one season, but one day there will be a reaping of that sin. By the grace of God, we can experience forgiveness. But sometimes there's still the price to pay for that. And we live with the results, but yet we have God's grace and God's mercy to see us through that. And that is why it is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous to play with sin, to play with disobedience against God and his word. And so for 40 years, he didn't give up. For 40 years, he remained faithful to God. And it was said of Caleb, not once, not twice, not three times, but six times, he wholly followed the Lord. It wasn't just a strong start like we saw last week in his 40s. You know, he had a good run up until age 40, and then he decided to hit early retirement. Are you kidding me? He was just getting going. He was wholehearted to the end. What and how are you going to live? Faithful to the end? Strong start? Maybe you've already been there. You, you, you've been running the, the Christian journey. You've been running the race, so to speak. And yet you're already tiring out. We have to remember that it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And yet we need to continue to keep trusting the Lord and pressing on. And so let's fast forward 40 years from where we were last week and, and, and we come to jo Joshua chapter 1. When you come to Joshua 1 and for the first 12 chapters, we see a period take place of five years in that time as they come into the promised land and they, they experience the victory of God. They see the power of God at work in, in seeing the walls come trump. Crumbling down like they did with the walls of Jericho. Major battles had been fought and won. They still had many lessons to learn along the way. And then in Joshua 12 and Joshua 13, we see even though there's still some armies and there's still some enemies in the land, the major battles, the major conquest was done. And so now they're dividing up the land. Joshua is dividing it up amongst the, the, the 12 tribes into various regions and areas for them to go. And they were still to go, occupy the land, but also continue to take care of 
the enemy and not to make peace treaties and, and make peace with the enemy. And so this is where we're going to pick it up in Joshua chapter 14 today. So we're going to start reading in verse 6. And it says, The people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the, what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. In other words, remember, we have a little business transaction that we were talking about back 40-some years ago. I don't want you to forget. I'm, I'm here to cash in my receipt, he's saying. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And as Moses swore that day, saying, Surely the land on which you your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day of that, that Moses sent me. My strength now is as of the strength was then. For war and for going and for coming. So now give me this hill country on which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how, how Anakim were, were there with great fortified cities. It may be to the Lord's, the Lord be with me. And I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron, formerly Kirath Rabbah, was, was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. I encourage you to write down this first point here this morning. A wholehearted follower who is faithful to the end is a person with conviction based on the word of God. With convictions that are based on the word of God is a wholehearted follower. Caleb's convictions that led him to stand before the people as we saw last week and continue on for 40 years in the wilderness, five years of fighting, and now standing here to claim his inheritance. We see that his convictions were based on the word of God. And you see, we all have or hold on to certain convictions, don't we? What are convictions? Well, convictions are firmly held beliefs or opinions. Some of you would hold to a very strong opinion that Ford is way better than Chevy, Dodge, you know, Chevy or Dodge when it comes to trucks. Parents hold to certain convictions to their children that vegetables are, are good for them. We all have certain political convictions. And any hockey fan, I think, would share the conviction that the Vancouver Canucks are just a really bad hockey team. You know, and, and, and so, you know, we can share some of those convictions. But Caleb's convictions, they're just not opinions. Caleb's convictions just aren't concepts. They are based on the word of God, on the character of God, and the attribute of God. And when Caleb stood before the people 45 years earlier and declared, and he said, yes, there are giants. Yes, the walls are huge. 
Yes, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, but behold, I believe in God. That God is faithful to his word, and as we have seen God faithful in the past, we believe by faith. I believe by faith that he will be faithful in the future, and he will give us this territory. We've seen his power in the past. We will see it once again in the land of victory. And here's what Caleb did, and here's what we need to do. I encourage you to write this down. This helps us to develop strong biblical convictions. First of all, search the situation. That's what, it, that's what, what Caleb and, and the spies ended up doing. They went in and they looked to see what was going on. We're not talking blind faith. They went and they saw, hey, this is going to be tough. There are giants in the land. Faith isn't just, you know, it's knowing the circumstances. It's just not going into something without thinking something through. It's being well aware of the opposition. That's what was going on. It's well aware of the conflict. It's well aware of what is coming ahead. But then what do we do? We search the scriptures. We search and we see what does God have to say about this. And folks, I can tell you that so many of the dilemmas that we can find ourselves in today, so many of the things that our society and our culture are questioning, even within at times the church, the answer is found in the word of God. And we can build our lives on that. It is rock solid. And as we do that, as we study the situation, as we search the scriptures, then we take and we make our stand. Underneath that, we don't have that on the screen for you up there. You can just put the word and then you stand on it. You stand that God is going to see you through. And it may take time, but God is faithful. And what we might discover is that the things that we thought once were convictions, things that we held, held down as, as, as rock-solid commitments, when the chips are down or the pressure is on, we get pulled in one direction or another, that we cave. Those aren't true convictions then. They're just concepts. They, they're things we thought we held to. But when we get pulled by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, what society has to say, what others have to say, and even if it deviates from the word of God, we cave on it. Those aren't convictions based on the word of God. And Caleb stood before all the people. And even though he didn't care if it cost him his life, he said, I believe in God. And there's times that following God will cost you. It will cost you financially. It will cost us in friendships. It may cost you um, a whole smattering of, of ways. But you see, I can say and I can proclaim we can do it so easily. I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible from one end to the other. I believe it is the word of God. I'm convicted that this is the word of God. It is truth. But then as it interferes with our lives, we make little exceptions. We put a little asterisk. Well, ex except for this area. We excuse this area. We ignore it. I was talking to a worship um, pastor this past week in Ontario, Jeff Kendrick, just great guy who God is just using in his church and helping to train up other worship leaders in, in our nation. When I first met him or heard of him about five years ago. And here was this guy, Jeff, family of four. His wife has gone through a few bouts of cancer. They have a, uh, their oldest son is Down syndrome. Lovely, lovely, lovely family. They've been through a lot of difficult seasons. Five years ago at this time, he resigned the church that he was the worship pastor of because it was going in a direction that he just could not see how it would line up with the word of God. 
and he saw the dangerous direction that was going. Family of four, pastor's income, no savings, and he quit his job. He just said, I cannot continue on anymore. I'm going to believe God has some place for, for me to serve. He didn't do that flippantly. He just didn't do it off the cuff. They had prayed about it. They had sought God about it, but he resigned to nothing. No job, no prospects, no other skills other than leading worship. And shortly after that, God just in amazing ways provided and he got involved with Harvest Bible Chapels in, in Ontario and is at Harvest Bible Chapel Brantford and a man of God, a man who, who is willing to pay the price and take a step of faith, not sure where that next income, where that next paycheck would come, for, come from. And just talking to him to this past week, I, you just can't help but be blessed by a man who has been living through these kind of steps of faith and, and putting, putting it where his convictions would lie. But so oftentimes for us, as soon as those convictions interfere with our lives, with our likes, our wants, our passions, we just dump it. And just think, well, again, like we talked last week, easier to get forgiveness than permission. But there's always a price to pay. And those convictions that we thought were convictions aren't true convictions. You see, so easily, folks, and, and I have to be so just right honest before you that we can so easily dumb down Christianity these days and what it means to follow Christ. Pray a prayer, don't kill anyone, and you're on your way to heaven. And so often, and now that's an exaggeration, but it's not very far off from where oftentimes we, we will land. Because it's so easy to accept the world's standards even the world standards or even the church's standards at times, sadly, of holiness or Christ-likeness or even in our speech or our entertainment, what we're filling our minds with. What does God's word have to say about this? The relationships that we have. How we spend our time and our money. And it's little wonder that there's little spiritual victory. It's little wonder we can find direction and hope in our lives because we're living outside of the will of God, outside of the word of God. We don't find peace our bodies can wear down and wear out. Just even this past week, I was reminded when David had said when he held on to sin, when he was living in areas of sin, it was like his body was just, his bones were wasting away. And sin, living in, in that kind of unconfessed sin, can wear down our bodies and our minds and relationships. Will we obey? Will we follow? Just when it's convenient? When it's easy? Are we ready to follow the word of God even when it's hard? I love the story of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, just a man of God. In, in fact, my uncle in his early years uh, just idolized, in a sense, Billy Graham. My uncle actually memorized many of Billy Graham's sermons in his early years, and they could hear him on the tractor. My dad remembers him standing on a tractor as he's plowing the fields, and he's preaching as if he's preaching to Madison Square Gardens in the same way that, that Billy Graham. He had memorized uh, a number of his sermons and would just preach them. And, and Billy Graham, just this great man that God used in so many different ways, and I love this story. Um, and yet it's sad, and yet we see where Billy put down his convictions. You see, in his early years, he's pictured here with another pastor, a, another evangelist, a Canadian by the name of Charles Templeton. They became friends during a tour in Europe together on, evangel on evangelistic crusades with Youth for Christ. They became quick friends, and Charles Templeton was a gifted preacher. Some said he was even a greater preacher, could draw larger crowds and greater responses than even Billy Graham. But Charles Templeton started to have some doubts and he wanted to go to seminary to get some more training and, and get some further theological education. And so he went to Princeton Theological Seminary to further his ed education and become more knowledgeable. But this also became a great 
uh, hindrance to him and something that ended up costing him dearly. Less than a decade later, he publicly declared that he had become an agnostic. In 1996, he wrote a book called Farewell to God. And there he wrote about his doubts, about his faith, and how he even tried to convince Billy Graham to join him at Princeton as they were good friends and he wanted to challenge Billy Graham to join him. But Billy Graham, we will see, um, I'm going to read an excerpt from Charles Templeton's book. It's eye-opening and it also shows what happens when one is obedient over the long haul. Charles Templeton wrote, all of our differences came to a head in a discussion which, better than anything I know, explains Billy Graham and his phenomenal success as an evangelist. Listen to this. In the course of our conversation, I said, but Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe. For instance, the biblical account of creation. The world was not created over a period of days a few thousand years ago. It has evolved over millions of years. It is not a matter of speculation. It's a demonstrable fact. And Billy said, I don't accept that. And there are reputable authors who don't accept that either. Who are these scholars, I said? Men in conservative Christian colleges? Billy Graham said, most of them, yes. But that is not the point. I believe the Genesis account of creation because it's in the Bible. I've discovered something in my ministry. When I take the, take the Bible literally, when I proclaim it as the word of God, my preaching has power. When I stand on the platform and say, God says, or the Bible says, or the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit uses me. There are results. Wiser men than you or I have been arguing questions like this for centuries. I don't have the time or the intellect to examine all the sides of this theological dispute. So I've decided once for all to stop questioning and accept the Bible as God's word. But Billy, I protested, you cannot do that. You don't dare stop thinking about the most important question of life. Do it and you begin to die. It's intellectual suicide. I don't know about anyone else, he said, but I've decided that's the path for me. He put his convictions, his foot down on the word of God. God said it. I believe it. I obey it. I'm going to desire to live it. Billy Graham's convictions were based on the word of God, and he was willing to stand. Second thing we see here, I encourage you to write this down, a wholehearted follower who's faithful to the end is a person with courage to trust God regardless of the circumstances. Caleb gave a report according to his convictions and was willing to stand alone. And now 40, 45 years later, he's still going strong. Look at verse 12. He's saying to Joshua, give me this mountain. Give me this hill country. This is where Anakim, the giant kind of people, lived in those days. And they're still there with fortified cities. I know, they're there. But give me this mountain. Give me the tough stuff. I am raring and I'm ready to go. The Lord is with me and I shall drive them out. Because the Lord is with me. You see, real convictions produce actions. You just don't sit around and think about it. You get in there and you start living it out. And sooner or later, our convictions will be put to the test and we must step up. 
But here's something we realize, that when you have convictions based on the word of God, not only will there be enemies against you, there will be those who will oppose and ridicule and gossip about you and mock you. And again, it could be family and friends, even fellow Christians. You take the Bible way too seriously. I've been told that about our church. You folks at Harvest, you take the Bible way too seriously. It's the word of God. We don't take it serious enough. I know I don't. We've got to take it. We've got to allow it to, to fill and to penetrate our lives. and affect the way we think and act and the way we do live our lives in so many different ways. And Caleb stood with that courage for 40 years and then for another five years as the battle was on. God said, God had promised, this land is your land. And he says, I believe it. Now we get to go, and he's going to empower us to do so. I read this quote this past week from a, from a reformer. He said, don't pray for easy lives. Pray for strength equal to the task. We often want it easy. We always want it safe. So many of our prayers, oh God, may, may things go well today. Oh God, would you keep us safe? But would we pray and say, hey God, give us strength that is equal for the task today, to live for you, to stand for you today. And he will be faithful. Third thing and last thing I want to talk to you about here this morning is a wholehearted follower. With unwa- someone who is faithful to the end is a person with unwavering constancy over the long haul. Convictions, courage, and constancy. Caleb had such a respect and a trust for God's word. If God said it, even if it was 45 years ago, it's going to happen. Unwavering constancy over time. Here he is. 85 years old, and he is rip ready to go. Declaring, now give me this mountain. Give me the tough stuff. I don't want it easy. He's 85 years old, and he's not looking for the lakefront mountain view retirement facility. He's saying, give me the hillside. Give me the hill region with the the giants and the fortified city. Come on, let's go. Notice what he says. "I'm, I'm just as young. I'm just as strong. I'm just as ready to go as I was back 45 years ago. Let's go. I mean, he's just chomping at the bit. I mean, probably like steam coming out of his nostrils. He's just like, come on. He's ready to go up against the giants that the people were so fearful of 40 years ago. And he's declared, give me this mountain. God's going to give it to me. I'm just as young, as strong, ready and fit as I was then. You think, man, that must have been some fitness routine he was on. I mean, he must have been pumping iron at the gym. No, he was eating manna for 40 years. You know, what kind of supplement is that? Pretty amazing to keep an 85-year-old just as young and limber and ready to go. I mean, some people are old at 65. Some are old at 40. Some at even 25. They've done all that they're going to do for, for others. Now it's all about themselves. Their lives revolve pretty much about the, around themselves. And life can boil down to how many cars, vacations, how many movies can I watch? How much can I put in my collection of this, that, or another thing? And then you have Caleb, manna-eating guy for 40 years, 85, and he's looking for a challenge. You know, I think about it. Some of the greater, greatest influences in my life have been men and women who are much older than me, have been much older than me, 20, 30, 40 years older. And you know what? So many of them, I've had to chase them over the years to get them to spend some time with me. Because they're busy. They're not just sitting around just 
taken life in on an easy chair, just reflecting on all their memoirs and all that they had done. They're standing ready, give me this mountain. And you know what I need, even to this day, to see men and women who are older than me, who are not settling, who are not, who, who, who are finished, that their walk with God is pretty much just now to a snail's pace. But I need to see men and women who are doing great exploits for God, for his kingdom. That's what I need to see. I need to see them continuing strong for God in the face of difficulty and frustration and issues in their family and things that they're facing. But this also leaves me with the responsibility to model this for others. We all have the responsibility for the next generation. Are you doing that? Are you building into the lives of others? Or is the course of your week pretty much about you and, and your life and about your likes and dislikes and what's going to fit best for you? We have those orange forms that are a great opportunity to get busy for some of you to, to step up and to serve in some just very practical and easy ways. Thankfully, we had a number of those come in. Still a lot out there. To sign up, step up to serve in different areas, to do great exploits. Well, I'm not sure if it's really my area. I'm not sure if mountain, if, if mountain uh, climbing and fortified cities were an 85-year-old's desire, to, you know, dream desire in his younger years, and yet he was still ready to keep on going. Are you settling? Are you setting an example of faith and loyalty and commitment to God? Charlotte and me, I mean, and for our kids, we've been so blessed in the homes that we've been brought up in. Both of our fathers are in their 80s. My father-in-law and mother-in-law are actually here today. Our fathers are in their early 80s, and our mothers are catching up to them. And yet they're continuing. All along in our lives as we talk about our parents, doing great exploits for God. The church that we grew up in, they knew that if they planned an event, there would be eight people there. Harold and Charlene and their six kids, usually sitting right here where the Harsan family is usually sitting. That was the Lutzer place where we would always sit with our parade of kids. And sometimes it was chaotic. Well, my brothers and sisters were. <laughs> Not only in their commitment, but in serving the Lord in so many different ways. Charlotte's parents in many different ways. Um, and this would have been said if they're not here, are oftentimes behind the scenes, serving in so many different ways and organizing and cooking and doing maintenance work. Even currently, they're cooking meals for inner city work in the city of Saskatoon, faithfully serving on Sunday week after week after week, as I said, oftentimes behind the scenes. My parents are a little bit more on the organized end of things and a little more upfront kind of areas. Even getting ready, they've been investing in their lives in new Canadians. Put your political stuff aside and realize that God is bringing the mission field to Canada. And what an opportunity. They're planning a bus event, renting two buses. Got a Christian guy that has donated two buses for them to go and to take Syrians and some Chinese new Canadians to a farm so they could see a Canadian farm in action, a seed growing operation, as well as a homestead that is all set up back like in the 20s and 30s. And then they're taking them to a Bible camp to give them the gospel. Love it. 80s, still going strong. This church, 
in so many ways that was planted, coming up to our fourth year party anniversary in early October, was planted and started by a group of people, probably the average age of our meeting in our core group in those early prayer meetings was 65 plus. I was the young buck. I was a young kid in that group, loved it, now I'm not. When the Brooders and Bankowski started to show up and, and started to drop around, the, uh, they, they dropped the average age considerably. And then when the Hayes joined us a few months before launch, and I think we have a picture, we finally had a baby in our church. Slap that picture up. Do you have that? Is that one I sent you this morning? Do you have that? Oh, I thought, okay, sorry. Great picture of Fred holding little Amea and, uh, and a group. Yeah, just, uh, I've just seen, you know, senior and seen a baby and, and the excitement that there was. And now we're celebrating new births and a Harvest Kids ministry that, uh, that God is using with a bunch of kids in there. Love it. And I remember hearing one of our dear seniors about uh, a year into uh, after we had launched telling someone in the lobby of Dr. Knox School where we were meeting at the time, they said, we have been praying for a church like this for over 15 years here in our city. And God has answered those prayers, but we never saw this coming in doing it in a church plant. And boy, we have been blessed by the constancy of our seniors here in this church. In so many ways, this church has been planted in the initial stages by the senior population, amen? Pretty special. Giving to the next generation, and that's what God calls us to do, to give to others. Oh, folks, would we run hard. Unwavering constancy over the long haul. With faithful pers perseverance. Not looking to see what I'm getting out of this, but what can I give to God in and through this? How can God use this in a mighty way? And how is this all possible in the life of Caleb? Was it because he was so special? Was it because he just was a special man with special faith? No, he was an ordinary man who trusted in a powerful and an extraordinary God. Are you that person today? This is what the Lord had to say about Caleb in Numbers 14. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land in which, we, which he went and his descendants shall possess it. God was telling, this, telling us this about Caleb. He has a different spirit. He wholly followed the Lord. You know what the New Testament equivalent to this verse is? It's you and me at the foot of the cross. When we come with weak and broken hearts because we're sinful, in need of God's grace and God's mercy, and through the bleeding wounds of Jesus, the Son of God, we are forgiven when we come to him in repentance and faith. It's at that point that the Holy Spirit fills us and we have a different spirit than anyone else in this world. And this is the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives who fills us and empowers us and teaches us through the word and by his spirit to live lives of courage and strength and dependency upon, the, upon God for the glory of God. And as we keep in step with, with God, Desiring to be obedient to the word of God, we are strengthened, we are empowered. That is where his strength, Caleb's faith and strength came from at age 85 because he wholly followed the Lord. And just as the Holy Spirit empowered Caleb to do great and mighty exploits, the Holy Spirit will empower you on your school campuses, in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, with your family, with your friends, in the way that you serve the Lord in various capacities. There's so many great different ministry opportunities to serve God here in this region.
And just as Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly, God wholly filled him. And if we do the same, God will wholly fill us. He will fill us with what we need. If Harvest Cologne is to be a church that God is calling us to be in our region and our nation, you need me to be all that God is asking of me to be, first of all, as a husband, as a father, as a leader in the church. But you also need to do all that God is asking you to do and to be. Wholehearted. Would we be people who have convictions in the word of God, courage to stand regardless of the circumstances and a constancy, an unwavering constancy over the long haul. We're not talking just a great start. We're interested in faithful to the end. And just like that vine growing at the side of our shed, that little shoot that came up out of the ground, that ended up producing an amazing cantaloupe or a few cantaloupes in one of the most unlikely places, God will produce in you, in me, and in us. In one of the most unlikely places, even in a movie theater. A movement of God that would bring glory and honor to him. Let's bow our heads together. I'll ask the band to come. And just spending some time with heads bowed just in personal reflection and about where you're at. How are you lining up with these three C's in your life? Caleb's story testifies to us today that a life of victory is possible, even when circumstances and people say it's not. But it requires a wholehearted commitment to the commands of God, the promises of God, and to be faithful to the word of God. Dear people who are living in areas of sinfulness that you know fully is going on in your life even right now, I would encourage you, in the name of our Lord Jesus, stop. Stop what you are doing. Find forgiveness first and foremost in him and repent and turn from those areas of sin in your mind, physically, mentally, emotionally, however that is, stop it. And take a step of faith and obedience you may need brothers and sisters to pray with you and hold you accountable, and that's what we'd love to do. When we do that, folks, we have God who does the fighting for us. We have a God who will make the way. We will have a God who will provide. We have a God who, when we fully and wholly trust him, will fully and wholly fill us with everything we need. The things that we thought that we needed in our lives to be a success or to make it through to the next little while will just become strangely dim because become non-issues because we have a God doing the fighting and providing for us. Oh, may we discover what Caleb discovered. Find that this unlikely hero is in each one of you and me. Lord, I even pray even now that through our inadequacies, our failures, our setback, or even areas of sin, that we would turn from those areas and we would trust you. We would repent. We would confess of those things. Those that are in areas of opposition and facing just some difficult things even right now, oh God, would you uphold them and strengthen them and as we as a church be willing to walk with one, one another in authentic ways. God, would you do the fighting for us? <laughs> Give us the courage to stand. We pray. 
And as we do, folks, we sing in declaration, rise to your feet as we sing this song of declaration that our God is our defense. He's the one who will give the victory as we step out in faith. And may we do that today, big steps of faith in obedience to him, counting the cost, and there will be a cost. There will be a wilderness in our life, but God will see us through to the land of victory.